Hello, and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller. It was the first Prime Minister's questions of the Parliament today, and I've got a very suitable panel with me. Um, first of all, veteran Westminster watcher Tony Grew. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, are you excited to be back? New Parliament? Which? How many Parliaments have you now? This is overseen? my fourth Parliament. Wow. And yes, I'm very excited because I've never seen one that's started with the mayhem that this one's begun. Well, that's true. And I'm joined by newbie MP Paul Sweeney, Labour MP for Glasgow North East. Uh, hello. Hi. How are you doing? And man with his own theme tune. Well, I suppose so. Right. Uh, never mind that. this old Jeremy Corbyn thing. You are the Sweeney, right? Well, I bet people have sung that to you a few, quite a lot. A few, after a few pints, perhaps. Paul Sweeney, <laughs> this Paul is Sweeney. Be, this is not going to mean anything to anybody da, 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 under the age of 40, by the way. Oh, I know. Listen, I said the other day that Barry Gardner looks like um, Timothy Claypool out of rent ghost and total tumbleweeds yeah. amongst the young people. Sure uh, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> no, me either. Uh, no, it's one of those terrible moments when you suddenly realise that uh, you're older. So than basically, you like. you've got a perspective of children's television from the 70s and children's television today because you have children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. You're spot on. Um, talking of sort of childish things, let's start with this. It's PMQs in review. It's PMQs in review. It's PMQs in review. It's PMQs in review. Yes, back for the first time in this Parliament PMQs in review jingle. Obviously, not the first time you've heard that, Paul, because you're a regular listener, I'm assuming. An absolute nerd for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where do we start with PMQs? Well, no, tell you what, let's start actually right at the beginning because it was your first ever PMQs. Yeah. What's the experience like? How does well, it feel to actually be there? It's like being in a Roman Colosseum or something. It's very extraordinary. The chamber is much smaller and more compact than I'd realised from yeah. watching on telly. And uh, you do realise that the, the atmosphere is extraordinary. You know, Scottish listeners may remember that you know the difference between Hamden and Celtic Park is a bit like that. You know, the atmosphere <laughs> is so much more intense uh, with the steepness of it all and the, the closeness of it all. So yeah, it was great just to be in the midst of it all. And um, it was actually, it wasn't. People always talk about it being really loud. I mean, it was quite loud in places, but it was actually relatively calm to start with because mm. of the nature of the subject that was discussed initially. Yeah, um, it, was, um, it was a sombre start. It was. We heated up a bit. <laughs> over contentious issues to do with whether or not it's appropriate to link cuts in public services to the Grenfell fire. That's when it started to get noisy. Yes. But before that, it was very sombre, as, um, as it should be. Yeah, was that a deliberate ploy on Corbyn's part to sort of start no. in a statesman-like way? No, and the House doesn't work like that. You, you know, you can't, you can't predict the mood of the House beforehand. You, you can reasonably expect MPs to not you know, cut, shout and make noise when they're discussing serious issues, but you, can, you can't actually manipulate it in that way. Corbyn's questions uh, were good, but, but, you know, these are the obvious questions that have to be asked, and I think it's important to note that we will be talking about the Grenfell fire in this parliament for, <coughs> for years. Yes. For years. Absolutely. Uh, it's pretty amazing stuff, really, isn't it? You it's know, horrific. All these, all these tower blocks that have been tested, and they're all flammable. Mm. It's just... Uh, What's quite interesting is the contrast with the, um, the Scottish situation, actually, because there was a fire, I believe, in Ayr or in Ayrshire in 1999, and as a result of that, the building regulations in Scotland were changed so that um, plastic-based cladding was removed from building yeah. regulations, and it's all fibre-based, I yeah, suspect, yeah. but but in-depth, but... Yeah. Um, it isn't actually an issue in Scotland, but it's because there was a slight change to the fire regulations. And if you want to find out more about that, Jack McConnell, who was First Minister at the time, sent some very interesting tweets just yeah. pointing out the process that the Scottish Government went through. Yes, yeah. I thought you were going to claim credit there for the <laughs> Labour Government. But as you say, it's maybe a cross-party thing. That was Theresa May's thing today, wasn't it? Don't point yeah, yeah. fingers 
uh, you know, we'll find this by quiet deter determination and something else she said, um, rather than pointing fingers. There's a uh, lot of public anger. There's a lot of public anger about austerity. We had, a, you know, we had an austerity uh, process that started seven years ago. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of public anger about the way in which police and fire services have, have uh, had cuts and yes. haven't been given pay rises. And to me, Grenfell is just the lightning rod for a lot of these um, ongoing concerns about the way, and, and, and not just mm -hmm. police and fire services, but also local councils have other yeah. budgets repeatedly slashed it, in England. It's an outburst against a sense of alienation in society, I think. That's yeah. actually what explains a lot of the behaviour we've seen, whether it's the Scottish referendum, whether it's Brexit, mm. whether it's the backlash against austerity. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's why I think it was appropriate for Jeremy Corbyn to link the two issues, because actually that's where the country's mood is, and that's... I think, I, I mean, to be quite partisan, I think that's the Tory reaction today demonstrates how up touch they are with the, the feeling on the ground. Uh, yes, disastrous effects of austerity and a disregard for working class communities, said Jeremy Corbyn. Well, you know, this is this is a Conservative Party that, that tried to fight a Brexit election, and on every doorstep, that's not what the voters wanted to talk no. about. They want to talk about bread and butter issues. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, can somebody explain austerity to me? I don't really understand this, right? We had to have austerity because we had to have a coalition government in 2010, <coughs> right? Because. Yes, the markets were going to crush the nation. So then we had to have a coalition and austerity. Now, since then, the Tory government, as far as I can see, have, um, you know, kind of taunted the markets by leaving the EU, having a really dumb election, etc. Mm. And yet somehow that doesn't seem to matter in the same way. And now we're talking about doing away with austerity and nobody saying, oh, but the markets will crush a, the nation. It was a cynical pretext. I mean, the biggest myth that's crept into public discourse is turning what was a global banking crisis into a public debt crisis. We forget that the Tories committed to Labour's public spending plans right up into the 20, uh, 2008. And then it, the, the narrative shifted. You know, it was all this rhetoric about the maxing out the nation's credit card and fixing the roof when the sun is shining. MD has got a basic understanding of how economics works, knows that the national economy has never worked like that. You know, so the, the, the Tories carefully crafted this analogy with household incomes and extrapolated that across to the country and used that as a basis to essentially pursue an ideological objective of shrinking the state. Yeah, it's very weird. I, I never quite understand how that household thing caught on because my household is hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt. If we've got a mortgage, obviously. Well, exactly, but the value gets against houses the work. value. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And you're never going to have to pay it all off at once. You know, no, this well, hopefully is, not. Well, hopefully not. But, <laughs> I'm never going to pay know, it off, and, frankly. You know, I'll you know, live to see the Believe it or not, the public realm of this country has a lot of assets as well. You know, yeah. sure quite, you know the irony is, you know, when the NHS was set up in 1948, public debt was several yes, orders of magnitude higher than it is yep. today. Ever has been. The problem for the Tories is that, look, we were in a very different financial both globally and nationally, we're in a very different financial situation in 2010 than we're in now. And that means were that we? Yeah, we were. In what way? What do you mean in what way? Well, the country's as bust now as it was then, isn't it? No, but no, the, there was an actual recession. The, there, there was an actual yeah. global... Re I, know, I know you don't have a great memory, but there was an actual global recession yes. at that <coughs> point that, doesn't, that is not now existing. In fact, we're seeing um, uh, quite good growth numbers coming out of the Eurozone, for example. If, we, if you think about... about if, you, if you think... Well, we were never in the Eurozone. Well, all right. But if you, if you think about the state that countries like Greece and Spain were in in 2010, yeah. 2011, 2012, things, yeah. have, things have turned a page. It may not feel like they have in this country, but the most damaging thing that the Tories have done to their own brand must within our means, there is no magic money tree, exactly. is then to turn around and, and find a billion pounds which they've handed to uh, the Northern Ireland, uh, not, oh, to, yes. not, not to the DUP, I think it's important to point out, but to the Northern Ireland executive. Yeah. And just think what that could have done for, say, the WASP women. You know, they claim that there's no money for dealing with that transitional mm -hmm. arrangement for payments mm -hmm. for pensioners. Um, yeah. Now, 
like shooting fish in a barrel if you want to pick things that the government said they can't well, afford indeed, yeah, that, that yeah. now they suddenly can afford uh, yes that's a good question from Kevin Brennan about that wasn't it they said they've got a double bubble not really sure what that means but uh, they get <laughs> they, money for being in government or for supporting the government they, they and they get money short money he's for being in opposition he's completely incorrect the, look this is this thing you have to understand the DUP are an opposition party and therefore they're entitled to what's called short money which yes. is financial support to opposition parties the government wanted a coalition with the DUP that was their initial offer to the DUP yes uh-huh. which would have meant that as we saw with the Lib Dems uh, and the Tory coalition they then become a party of government in other words yeah, when the yeah, Lib Dems yeah. were in a coalition government they didn't get short money yes the, the DUP as the government is going to continue to find out over the next year or two years are an opposition party and will be opposing the government and they'll be measures. going back for more oh <laughs> god yeah of course they will but yeah. the, the deal's been constructed in a very specific way we now have a two year instead of a one year session of parliament all of the funding yes. talked about in the DUP deal is, is to be done within yeah. two years it was an interesting tip but during uh, PMQs actually when one of the DUP MPs mentioned the national shipbuilding strategy mm-hmm. which is also something close to my oh, yeah. interest mm-hmm. and then my ears pricked up because I was thinking, well, they're going to be looking to extract concessions about shipbuilding contracts coming to Northern Ireland. They will. Yeah. They will. Uh, uh, so yeah. there's all sorts of things they're probably looking that at. That was Gavin testing. Robinson, who's the MP for East Belfast, which is where Harlan Wolf is, yeah. is situated. Uh, okay. Yes, because you were uh, with the GMB union. Uh, Unite, actually. Sorry. Unite, GMB. sorry. Um, yeah, and... Uh, and in the shipyards, is it? In the shipyards, yeah. And so when I graduated, I, well, I, my family's got a background in shipbuilding, so uh, I'd, I'd always been close to it from a very young age, and... Growing up around these huge behemoths on the Clyde, and uh, it always struck me from a very young age how amazing this kind of industry was. Um, and you had some sort of role in the gigantic aircraft carrier that's just left recycling. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was involved in helping to build one of the huge blocks that we built in Govan and was ferried around the north of Scotland to recycle, and it was all assembled together. But mad, one, one of those blocks alone is, what, is the same size as two Type 45 destroyers. Exactly, it's mad, so it's the size of massive. it. I mean, when you go over the river and you see it recycled, yeah. it's just like, it's properly, like, yeah, just insane. It's the biggest, like, how can something big, big that big? Biggest warship ever built for the Navy. It messes with the perspective, because it's so yeah. big. It it's, so, it's, it's a quite cool, because like, there's two huge engineering projects going on, two of the biggest engineering projects in the world going on side, side by side with the new Force Bridge, oh, yeah, and yeah. then the aircraft carrier is getting built yeah, there as well. Um, and it must be an amazing. Be late. It must be an amazing feeling to actually see it. Yeah, well, that's one of the great, most satisfying things about building something as tangible as that, mm. because you actually do see it, and it and it goes out, and it will be at sea for fifty years. You know, the the the, the last commanding officer of that ship hasn't been born yet. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's just yeah. it's, it's such an extraordinary statement. That's um, nuts. Yeah. Um, a couple of newbies got in at PMQs. Two, uh, yeah. Leo Doherty, who I love how he's, can I just point out? I love how he's reading this out because he's got no idea who these new MPs are. <laughs> Leo Doherty, I've got any idea. They're new MPs. They've been here for two weeks. Oh, now. Get with the program. And the other one was Ben Bradley from Mansfield. There's a little bit with all the faces on. I've got it. Yeah. Right. Oh, he, uh, he's got the book. He just hasn't looked at it. <laughs> well, ben, ben Bradley's very interesting. The new MP for Mansfield, first Tory MP ever for that seat. Serious, true believer Brexiteer. Very, yeah, very well, interesting guy. Uh, I actually did a tour with the BBC broadcasting house with him yesterday. Oh right. Chat. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Seems well, very relaxed. Personally, he's obviously he's a leader Tory. Well, absolutely. Yeah. He's, he, he, but it's really interesting to see MPs that come from different backgrounds, from different parts of the country, that would never have expected to be elected. You know, the fact that he took a Labour seat that they've held for a hundred years is, un- is is not unprecedented. It does happen, but it's always good to see people coming from non. From, from sort of non-traditional backgrounds, in other words, and I haven't just been a he's spad. The same age as me as well. He's about twi- I think he's twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, he's very young. Yeah. Uh, and Leo Doherty just seemed like he was born to be there. 
the way he yeah. asked his question. Yeah. I don't know if he'd been practicing a lot or whether he's just one of these Tories who assumed one day he'd be an MP and he's been practicing in front of his mirror for 20 years. I, I don't think... I, with the born then he to, winked. With the born to rule Tories, I don't think they need to practice in front of the mirror. No, I think it okay. just comes naturally. Is he one of them? Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's, former, he's former army. Oh, okay. He's got right. a good beard. Well, that's that he's... I was an army reservist as well, so... Oh, okay. It does instill some degree of... Confidence in public speaking. Are you looking forward to your first? PMQ? Well, I've already I've already asked the PMQ. Have you? Uh, it was on Monday. Uh, I asked oh, in right, the yeah. In the statement uh, to the House, but not an on actual Brexit. PMQ. Uh, not PMQ. Not PMQ, but a question of the Prime Minister. Yeah, at the um, which Berko described as an interesting order. Of, oh. So he's looking forward to the main course. So oh, when oh, I get my maiden served the, up yeah. soon. Caught the speaker's <laughs> eye. But um, but is there a difference between a, a, an actual PMQ at PMQs? I mean, it, it, as well, a, suppose, if and when you actually get, I suppose caught. it's more of a frenzy, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you're, and there's no quarter for given in the chamber. You know, if you dawdle too much in the question, you're quickly oh, shut down by the volume. <laughs> yeah. You know, Must and uh, you do notice people getting short shrift if they're if they're not uh, concise enough. It can be really brutal. And I, you know, there was an SNP MP today. I think it was Marion Fellows. Yeah. I need to check. Who I couldn't hear. I mean, the, the wall of noise yeah. that, that greeted that greeted her was well. The question was too long. Yeah. So you do have to be pithy, but you know, there's no need to scare our guests about I these was sort of things. Talking to a senior nat this morning who looked at the list and saw that it was Marion Fellows and Gavin Newlands and he went, Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's not very collegiate. Is do you it? think there's been some dissent in the in what used to be the uh, unbreakable Borg like uh, yeah. SMP team here at West? Yes, it was like Russell Crowe and Gladiator with a shield wall, wasn't it? You know, they're just impregnable. Yeah. Well, actually, one of one of the most one of the most memorable moments for me in this in you know the start of this new parliament is is the SM an SMP MP speaking and being heckled from the Tory benches by Scottish Tory MPs. Yeah. Like yes. that was an odd experience. Mind blowing for them. Well, yeah. yeah. But they, 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 they just reacted with almost shock. You yeah. Know? yeah, although they were I mean, it is quite ironic in a way. I mean, I'm not saying it's pretty depressing as well from my point of view, but, mm. you know, the, the, the Tories are being sustained in government by Scottish MPs. Yeah. yeah. If Theresa May didn't have 12 new Scottish MPs, she would be mm. nowhere near even running minority government. Yeah. Um, uh, interesting, there we go. We've finally started mentioning Ian Blackford. Uh, previously, PMQs, we always talked about Angus Robertson because he was generally the best of the bunch. Mm -hmm. um, Ian Blackford, uh, the Prime Minister said, he's a nationalist, not a unionist, which seemed a bit, you know, a hat is not a tree. He's basically just stating the obvious. <laughs> Got a good cheer, though. Uh, well, apparently, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was his I'm all right, Jack approach to funding. You know, he, was, he didn't really care about the Barnett formula's uh, impact on other nations when it mm. is serving Scotland's interests. Uh, I'm not sure. There's, there's not, not sure a lot of people have really covered themselves in glory in terms of understanding of the Barnet formula. This yeah, everybody's suddenly become an expert. Yeah, an expert in cladding <laughs> systems for fly high-rise flats and the Barnet formula. Yeah. And the DUP is the other thing everyone's an expert yes, on. Yes, that's now. true. Yeah. Um, Ian Blackford, obviously you, you saw <coughs> Angus Robertson when he was leader. How does he compare? Well, he's not as good. Okay. I mean, that's not his problem. That's fine. The, but the one thing I would point out is that um, because Angus was so good at this, yeah, we've forgotten what an absolute bear pit it is to be the leader of the third party at PMQs. Mm. I can remember Nick Clegg yes. and Vince, sorry, even Charles Kennedy. I remember Charlie he Kennedy used to always sound weak. Ming um, being absolutely yeah. monstered from yeah. both sides. Mm -hmm. So I, I just say that Angus made it look easy. It's it's one of the most difficult. It's much more difficult than being the leader of the opposition. You don't have a dispatch box to lean on. Mm -hmm. You yeah. don't have hundreds of people behind you. Unless your people are super attentive, you'll probably get shouted down. So I think he I actually thought he got quite an easy ride today. Fair enough. And let's talk about one of the things that sort of was hanging over the chamber in a way was Joe Cox. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, there was this um, plaque which was unveiled at the weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, Cheryl Murray said somebody had weed on her office. Uh, I think it was the office door, but yeah. Well, that's, that's part of the office. It's actually external to the office, but uh, go on. Mm. I uh, think it was rather 
I'm sort of try and link that to a partisan point. Um, I thought that you know, because if anyone, for if we're Scottish MPs and Labour Party, you know, we've certainly had our fair share of uh, <laughs> robust treatment in recent years. Well, I don't years. think that's any reason to export your robust treatment to England. And it, <laughs> it isn't. It, no, no, this is not a feature of. This is not broadly a feature of English politics. And so, I think a lot of Tory MPs have come back and are sh- quite shocked by some of the uh, abuse and tactics that they faced, and de- defacing of posters and all this sort of stuff that isn't really a focus, isn't really a feature of campaigning mm. broadly in England. And so I think, I think it wasn't in Scotland until well, a few years ago. Well, right? actually, I, I have to say, I mean, I did make that point, but I think actually the big contrast from, from 2015 to, to this election yes. was uh, how calm it was in Scotland, yeah. actually. It yeah. was really, really... The mood had shifted, everybody's really calmed down from the frenzy of the referendum. But like you said, I thought that was a very weird yeah. thing for Cheryl Murray to the first question go on on some sort of... Yeah. She's trying to suggest Labour are somehow to blame well, for people weighing on her office. I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen you know, MPs say that this isn't the Labour Party, this is momentum. So this is their, you know, the, the Corbynistas flying squads that, are, that actually did have an effect on uh, marginal seats and some seats in England. In other words, a very large amount of activists that suddenly appeared in places like mm. Portsmouth on polling day to get the vote out that they, that they weren't expecting. So it, I, I'm not sure if it's an attempt to paint this as being the Labour Party or is it being Corbyn supporters, which are two discrete groups. Um, and as I say, I've, just from my personal conversations, a lot of Tory MPs have come back and they're really, really angry about this. They've, well, ne- they've never seen yeah, this I mean, sort of thing before, and they're angry about it. Yeah, I guess because she raised it, but it, I just it jarred a bit. Not least because um, the prime minister then tied it into Joe Cox fine. by um, saying, you know, remember what Joe Cox said: we've got more in common than divides us. I think, I think that the prime minister, prime minister, did quite well. I think in trying to, in not actually focusing on, uh, you know, the strange things that Cheryl Murray was saying. Um, and we also had, I thought more importantly actually, than you had Cheryl Murray making that slightly odd point at the beginning, Rachel Reeves at the end raised the Joe Cox Loneliness Commission, which is something good that's come out of, uh, something very good that's come out of the, uh, you murder. Know, obviously the terrible murder of, of Joe Cox, and she works with, badge for you. Uh, yes, a happy to chat badge, I see lots of people She works with a, a Labour MP, thank you, sorry, with a Tory MP called Seema Kennedy. Kennedy. Yes, who is now PPS to the Prime Minister, so... That might be interesting in terms of uh, how uh, how much ear she might be able to get. Um, but I just thought that kind of summed up actually the whole we've got more in common than, than divides us. Instead of going, uh, people weed on my office, going, look, here is a positive campaign. Uh, it's trying to deal with loneliness, which is a big issue. Uh, I've spoken to both of them about this, uh, if you listen to podcasts past. Um, it just seems like a nice, it seems like a far more positive, you know, Cheryl Murray started the whole thing with a very partisan point, and it felt like Rachel Reeves brought it to a close with a much more Hold on. cross-party point. Yeah, Complaining about horrific levels of intimidation against you and your staff isn't a partisan point. Well, what's the, what she said, come on, she was trying I to make it, a point uh, that somehow other people, you know, other parties were doing it, and it was... Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of issues it. layered up with that, and it's partly misogynistic as well as yes. partisan, um, you know, because I, I do think women in politics do suffer a lot more... Yeah. Uh, outrageous abuse um, and gratuitous abuse than, than men do, um, yeah. and the, the standards that women are held to in politics are much more um, sort of unfair. I think. Absolutely, I completely agree. Um, so there's an element of that. Is it's not it doesn't just cut across party political lines. True. You know. So um, but my main point is, Rachel Reeves is great. Yeah, uh, that's basically my point. Okay, um, a little fanboy, well done. Yeah, well, total Rachel Reeves fanboy. But you know, have you met her sister Ellie Reeves, the new MP for Lewis? The one that I tipped to be the next Labour Prime Minister a few weeks ago. Uh, Even though you haven't met her. Yeah. Okay, good, good start. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, let us finish with another jingle. It's uh, I love your questions. I love your questions. I love your questions. 
Small children. It costs a lot of money to get people to do those jingles. Small children do these jingles. That is that voice on there was somebody very famous and important. Um, I love your questions. Is the never-ending chain of questions. Last week, Ian Murray's question was: If you could have your own Queen's speech, what bill would you put in it? Okay. Well, I was weighing, kind of weighing this up in my mind, um, and. I'm a massive transport geek, right. um, and I set up a campaign in Glasgow called Get Glasgow Moving. Well, I helped set it up, yeah, Get yeah. Glasgow Moving, because our c- city has the biggest railway system outside of London, right. but it's totally disconnected, and uh, it doesn't link up with the subway system in Glasgow, and the bus system's a mess. So my bill, if I was going to put it into the Queen's speech, would be to legislate for municipal ownership of public transport and Ooh. operation of municipal tra- uh, transport systems again in this country. Because London's the We've got that the one thing that they get right in London, really spot on, is the transport system. <laughs> I'm literally not, not, yeah. really not taking that, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> well, relatively London, London does lots of things very well, not just our transport network. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm not going to have some Scottish person insult London. You know, yeah, I'm not well. insulting, I'm just saying one thing. I, my biggest observation in my short time here has been the transport yeah. system. No, you're absolutely good. right. To be honest, whenever you go yeah. out of London, it, you know, well, as, as a Londoner, no, but it's not even that. It just doesn't make any sense when you yeah. go to a city of the size and importance of Glasgow and just think, why does the metro and, and the bus take different tickets? It doesn't just doesn't make any yeah, sense. It's crazy. And yet, when you live here and you find you have to wait more than two minutes for a bus, you go, <laughs> "Oh, for goodness' sake, flipping transport for London!" Yeah, yeah. or at least I do. Yeah. Um, what is a you, bus? Sorry, what's a bus? <laughs> you should try the bus. No, so I'm a tube meet, person. Meet the people. Oh, right, okay. or, or Uber. Uh, well, that's a whole different issue. Let's not get into Uber. Yeah. Uh, would you have? A, could you? Would you like to put a bill in the Queen's speech? No, not really. No. Okay, you don't have that. Power. Um, next week's uh, guest, I think, is going to be Neil Gray of the SNP. He's the new okay. social justice spokesman for the party. Okay. What question would you set for him, Paul Sweeney? Well, I was pondering this because, you know, I was looking at the leadership campaigns that were run by the SNP's new perspective Westminster yeah. leaders. And they picked a chap, ultimately Ian Blackford, who is a sort of Thatcherite stockbroker. You know, yet the SNP have been presenting themselves as this, you know, most socialist and uh, Labour sort of uh, sort of um, the conscience of the Labour Party. You know, my Black's sort mm-hmm. of statement in our maiden speech was something about you know the Labour. I didn't leave the Labour Party. The Labour Party left me at the age of twenty-one, whatever. But um, so it's interesting to see that in the context of Corbyn, they went that way. Um, but my question would be to him. If you had the choice between a socialist UK and a highly right-wing independent Scotland, what should you pick? <laughs> wow, uh, that'll be an interesting, <laughs> interesting poser. We'll see what it comes up with there. Um, thanks for that. Okay, well, uh, tune in next week for the answer to that. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, and people have been getting in touch, which is much appreciated, please continue on at Political Yeti at Twitter or politicalyeti at gmail.com on the email, or visit my website, james-miller.com. And uh, if you like this, also rate, review it on various iPad, not iPad, iPod platforms. That would be very much appreciated. And uh, yeah, tune in next week for, oh, I haven't said thank you to my guests, so very rude of me. Thank you to Paul Sweeney, and thank you to uh, you, uh, Tony Groove. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, tune in next week for another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. Thank you. <laughs>